now listening to Podcasting in Pinstripes, the official New York Yankee podcast of Gotham Sports Network. Welcome back to Podcasting in Pinstripes, the official New York Yankees podcast on the Gotham Sports Network. Sam and Steve back for another rundown of the past few weeks of Yankees baseball. Uh, Sam, me and you were chatting before the Rangers series, and we thought this could be a pretty depressing episode. But the Yankees turned it around a little bit here, and we're both in pretty good spirits. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Steve. I thought this weekend in the Bronx could have been a bloodbath. And we've already seen the Texas Rangers just take it to the New York Yankees this year as far as the action on the diamond. In a four-game series from uh, April 27th to April 30th, the Yankees scored a total of six runs over four games, and the series finale was a 15-2 loss. They lost three of four. Things were not looking good. And I thought this weekend could have been more the same, especially with... The way the Rangers' offense is, one to nine can beat you in the order. Corey Seager has turned into Jesus Christ since the they banned the shift, and the fact that the Yankees got two of three from Texas, amazing. Follow, following that up with the Seattle series, taking two of three, especially this weekend, was an act of God. It was a huge bounce back. Let's get with the uh, the unpleasant stuff first. Uh, the Yankees got their shit handed to them by the Red Sox in Boston. Three-game sweep, including the doubleheader uh, on Father's Day. And, and before that, two close ones versus the Mets. One, they got they got the win, and then the other, they, they lost in extras here. The Yankees continue to be easily the worst extra-inning team to ever step foot on, on planet Earth. The, the ghost runner, I think, you know, kills the Yankees more than anyone um, so, yeah, after, you know, that losing, you know, four or five and then having Seattle and Texas come to town, it, it was things were looking gloom. You know, Seattle struggles at the plate a little bit, which was a benefit for, for the Yankees and something that we definitely saw um, in, in those first two games. And, and Texas is the best hitting team in baseball right now. They, they spent a ton of money on that on that lineup. It, it didn't really work last year, but it, it's really working this year. And, and those that, you know, that middle of that order is dangerous. Um, and I did not see it happening like that. The Yankees gave up seven runs in 28 innings versus the Rangers, and two of those runs came in extra innings, which I just clarified that the Yankees suck at. So nine inning games only, you know, the Yankees gave up five runs in three innings versus the best team in baseball. Yes, the lineup was still bad, but I think we got to start to talk about how how good the Yankees pitching is because that was a performance, and they they got it from from all over. The, The worst pitcher in the Texas series was probably Garrett Cole. And he didn't pitch terrible, but Severino came, lit it up. And then on, on Friday was uh, was Clark Schmidt, who, who I think that's kind of where we should start. Clark Schmidt has figured it out. He, he's performing really well, but some reason the Yankees cannot score when he's been pitching. His last six games, he has an under three ERA and the Yankees are 0-6. They're messing with my boy Clark. Give him his due. Get him some Ws. We're going back seven starts here. He's pitched in to the fifth inning, or he's completed five innings in six of seven of them. The only one he didn't was against the Red Sox, and still didn't get lit up there. Four and two-thirds, two earned runs. That breaking pitch down and away to righties is working. He has 28 strikeouts in 37 innings in his last seven starts. There's just a lot of things different about this version of Clark Schmidt versus the one we saw in April. 
And he's doing it against good offenses. Like you said, this Texas offense is the best hitting team in baseball. Faces the Red Sox in back-to-back weeks, which, hey, that's hard for a pitcher. You, you see the same lineup twice in five, six days. And then good starts against Seattle in Seattle. The Baltimore Orioles have pretty much established themselves as for real as the first in the first half of the MLB regular season. Five innings, one earned, four strikeouts against them. And this is something I said last episode. The Yankees don't need Clark Schmidt to be an ace. Your job for a bottom-of-the-rotation guy is to go out there and to give your team a chance. Complete five innings, let up two or three runs. Give your team a chance. Don't get let up and have the bullpen all burned out. So that's exactly what Clark Schmidt's doing. And he's going to be a bottom of the rotation guy officially when Carlos Rodon comes back. It's looking like July 7th. He's going to get one start in before the All-Star break. That is fantastic news for everyone. So you're going to have the dream of Cole, Herman, and hopefully we see the Severino we got against Texas because that was a joy to watch. And then Nestor Cortez is still injured. And then you're going to have Schmidt, who was fighting for a rotation spot when in a healthy rotation, not with Johnny Brito, maybe. But right now, Schmidt is in the Yankees rotation going forward, even when Radon comes back and Cortez as well. Yeah, you know, for sure. I think, you know, those three, uh, the three that you mentioned, Herman, Schmidt, and, and Brito, and even, even you want to throw Randy Vasquez in there too. Like, they've they kind of been juggling of who would go down if they got healthy for a while. It was Domingo Herman was, was being awesome. And we're like, oh, no chance. Even for a while, we're like, Joe, Johnny Brito's going to stay in the rotation. Then he got sent down. But I think Schmidt has easily put himself into into that current guy of, yeah, this guy is in the, in the top five. Um, no, no matter what, um, it's kind of gone the uh, the a little bit the other way for for Herman, who started to struggle in his last um, seven games. He has uh, he's given up twenty two earned runs uh, for a, a six ERA. So smart Clark Schmidt is definitely in that. And you look at it, it, it goes even further back than those kind of those stats that you just laid out there. These only bad games since April has been versus the Rays. I mean, you know the Rays are the, the best team in baseball. You know, but take that one out there. He's given up over two runs once in all of April and all of May, um, and June. And June, sorry, in all of May and June. Sorry, May and June has been has been phenomenal. So his his April was rough, really rough. You know, he's given up. You know, uh, he gave up nineteen earned runs in April, uh, and then May and June combined, he's given up eighteen. Complete transformation. Him. I, I don't know whether it's you know. He, you know, he was really working that cutter earlier. He still throws it, you know, 22% of the time here. But he's mixing his pitches really well, uh, and he's getting it done. He's still giving up a lot of hits. You know, he's given up, um, you know, he's at least a, a hit per inning. Um, he's averaging, you know, five and a half hits in June. But that's – I'm fine with the hits as long as – his biggest problem in April was not being able to get that out when needed or not being able to get that put-away pitch uh, and, and shockingly, his strikeouts have been down in June, but so are the runs. So it, it's interesting to see that change there. I, I wouldn't have expected that from Clark. I would have expected his strikeouts to be a, a huge piece uh, of of why his success has been what it has been. But it's kind of gone the other way. The the less strikeouts, the, the more balls in play, the longer he goes into games, um, and the less runs. So it's been a, a great thing to see. Um, and I hope he finishes the, this, this first half strong because when you look at it as a whole – he, uh, he's putting together a, a decent 
first half for someone like you said that was fighting for pretty much fighting for his MLB career at this point. This this probably was his last shot to to be something for the Yankees, the former first round pick. And at minimum, he he's shown other teams that that this guy is definitely a starter in Major League Baseball. It's been good to see, and I've talked about a lot in years past about the Yankees and developing starting pitchers who they drafted. It's been a major, major struggle. Black hole. I mean, you look at a team like the Cleveland Guardians or the St. Louis Cardinals. I know it's not a good season for them, and the Yankees are going to see them this weekend. The Yankees have had close to no starters drafted that have even remotely panned out. Jordan Montgomery, since I've became become a, a conscious Yankee fan, that was probably in the year 2003. Montgomery's probably been the best one. Uh, Luis Severino, I don't really count. He was an international free agent. But in terms of pitchers they got, they've acquired through the MLB draft. Holy moly. It, you put it best, it has been a black hole. And hopefully Schmidt can change the narrative and be a staple in the rotation for years to come. I hope he can really change that narrative. But it's... You're, you're mentioning former first-round pick. I have to bring that up because it, it has been one of the most underrated aspects of this stretch of, of Yankees baseball going back to when the dynasty really ended. The, the struggle to draft starting pitchers and to work them through the system and, and have them have a successful major league career, I feel like it's not talked about enough. And you said this might be Schmidt's last try. He kind of got thrown into the fire during that pandemic short in 2020 season, I remember. But he's making the most of his opportunity right now in the last month plus, and it's great to see. And it would be great if we could have him change the narrative. Yeah, I mean, he's got he was drafted a little, you know, a little, a little late uh, for age wise. So he's getting up there in age. It's not like he's a he's a young stud out there but yeah and, and you mentioned the guardians are drafted i always like to look at the the dodgers because right? they're typically drafting towards the back of uh the first round similar to the yankees and, and they're, they're pull they pull studs out of the draft when it comes to starting pitching you look at their you know some of their guys they got out there you know they got like three or four guys right now in the majors that i would love to have um in the minors that i would love to have uh, as prospects for for the yankees uh pitching staff here so it, it's okay to be a little excited for for clark here you know 2017 First round pick, 16th overall, immediately gets Tommy John before he even signs, basically signs a contract with the Yankees. Um, so it's taken a while. That's 2016, 2017 is a long, long time ago. We'll, we'll keep an eye on, on this for the uh, for the rest of the first half here and see how he looks for the second half. And then you mentioned uh, Rodon coming back, huge, 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 huge. Like you said, looks like one more start. He, he looks, he sounds like he's ready for the Bronx tomorrow, which is awesome. But I, I like the cautiousness. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see. If the Yankees do push him for that game versus the Cubs, I would like to see it. You would like to see it. Fans would like to see it. But like, I wonder how how hard they're gonna they're gonna push that. Like, what if Brito does really well his next start or next two starts where it could be the A's and and Cardinals? Do you just say let's hold off and, and pitch Cole Rodon first? You know, back to back first two games after the All Star break. I think the Yankees need it. The Definitely the way their lineup has been given. I would love to see him out there, you know, right after 4th of July, um, given his start there. But just the way the Yankees have been playing him so cautious, uh, I'm curious to see if they're going to if they're gonna hold out till after the All-Star break. Um, but you said it lines up for that, that first Friday night versus the Cubs 
which would be awesome and a, and a nice boost. Even though that the, the the starting pitching hasn't been the main issue for the Yankees, has been the lineup. Adding a guy like like him is going to change some of the emotions in that clubhouse. You know, we've said from the get go from this signing, this guy seems like he was born to be a Yankee, and he's going to bring some fire. It's exciting that we're going to get get him soon, and the fact that we get him before Judge, I don't think either one of us would have picked that. I would not have, absolutely not, because Judge. It, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but it, it's obviously... T- tied into the injury report presented by Sammy Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, what a bizarre situation there, if we could transition. What a bizarre situation. It's We didn't really know what the injury is, and now he's got a torn ligament. I'll, I'll, I'll put my doctor hat on and say that I've never attended medical school and probably barely passed chemistry. I think a sprain basically is a torn ligament, so the Yankees have known it's torn. I know people were freaking out and being like, how could the, the, the staff not know it's a torn ligament? I think they've always known it's torn, but like they can get away just saying it's a sprain because the Yankees like to fuck with us. So I, I wasn't shocked when I saw that, and I don't think Judge and the Yankees were, were shocked to hear him kind of say it. They've just been being coy and, and douchebags and not and using the word sprain instead of tear. But so I don't think that was like a new revelation for anyone inside the clubhouse. Obviously it made Twitter explode, but I don't think anyone inside the clubhouse was like, Oh my god, I can't believe it's a tear. They had to have known, I think. Yeah. I- I'm thinking the exact same way. They have done this year in and year out with injuries. It's it tail as old as time. They may be the least transparent franchise in sports when it comes to talking about injuries. I know there are a lot of teams that do this, but it seems like we have this three to four times a year with the New York Yankees. I There are too many instances of this in years past of us doing this podcast. It could Whether it's Luis Severino, John Carlos Stanton, now there's talk about Judge possibly missing the entire season. That that was scary. Back. I August at this point, mid August, is that the best case scenario? It, it sounds like this is a two plus month injury, ten weeks. Yeah, I think you know I think the athletics said case. they athletics said they talked to somebody, um, you know, with you know obviously no knowledge of Judge here said that that is that's an eight week a two month recovery. And then you say Judge needs two weeks after that. So, yeah, I think you're right. That guy could be middle of, of August. And, look, we were completely wrong in our, in our guesstimates saying that. It, I thought it would be right back after the All-Star break. I thought he'd be doing some light stuff by now. Um, I, I need to – post-All-Star break, I need Judge to be at least swinging a bat and, and jogging. So that gives him two weeks here to hopefully make some recovery. If he's got nothing still post-All-Star break – then, then you know the the worry really kicks in here because then it, you're, you're talking like you said ten weeks. How long will it take for him? He's basically got to redo spring training and, and get himself back into into game form. And who knows where the Yankees will be at that at that point? You're right. Right now, the Yankees are somehow forty three and thirty five, which is pretty impressive if you ask me. Especially with how bad the offense has looked without Judge. You made the point of needing them to tread water without Judge. And they've done that in the last week. The sweep against Boston was ugly. If we're being realistic with ourselves, a division title this year is probably out of the realm. Nine and a half games back of the Rays, five games back of the Orioles. But it's important to 
get home field for that wild card series because that's ultimately what the Yankees are going to be pushing for. You're going to have Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon coming back. Two out of three games, they're going to be starting. And like I said, hopefully the Yankees make it that far. I mean, the AL beast is a different animal. Uh, out west, too, we've kind of gotten to see a lot of these teams this year. The Rangers, the Yankees have seen twice. The Astros, not yet, but they haven't really had a season up to their standards so far. And then the Angels are looking to make the playoffs with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani for the first time. Then you have the Central, which, holy shit, what a... They're basically better off in the College World Series. <laughs> I The fact that this division is awarded a playoff spot is in home field in a wild card series is just absurd to me. But that's beside the point. The Yankees have a golden opportunity. We'll, we'll get to the schedule, but... With Judge out, treading water was the mantra, and what better place to do it in Oakland and uh, at a St. Louis team that's really struggled. So there's two weeks left until the All-Star break. Uh, obviously going to be getting into a lot more on this episode, but it's scary right now. Uh, my stress level at a 10 right now when it comes to Aaron Judge's injury, who we're looking at about five six yeah six, six six seven i think he is there i'd say when we recorded last you know two weeks ago i'd say honestly it was like a, a two three it's it's gone up it's doubled i think things since then so yeah the, the judge thing is something that we we need to we need to pray on we need to pray that that big ass toe can figure itself out um you mentioned the schedule coming up that's a little easier here the yankees start that road trip and it looks like they're gonna have some more help um, it's going to be on the pitching side of things again, which has been the best the best part of the Yankees, and the bullpen has been the best in baseball. But it looks like Ian Hamilton has his bags packed, and hopefully he's on a plane you know, yesterday with the team out to Oakland because unsung hero of the first three weeks of baseball out of the pen when we lost Jonathan Loisega. Clay Holmes looked like he was struggling. Who's he, He's turned around and looks like an all-star. But, but Ian Hamilton has, was fantastic in his 16 games for the Yankees earlier this year. 22 innings pitched. He was striking out people at 34% of the time. He didn't give up a home run. He, like I said, 16 games only. He has, and and in 22 innings, Fangraphs has him as the fourth highest war pitcher for the Yankees at .7. Right behind Schmidt at 2.2, Clay Holmes at 1.0, and um, Clark Schmidt at at .9. So then it's Ian Hamilton. That's above Michael King, above Nestor Cortez, uh, above Ron Marinaccio, above Domingo Herman. Like this is a guy that barely played. It's been a long time since we've seen him. 16 games. Like you said, the Yankees are at game 75, you know, or they'll, they'll hit game 75. You know, this this series here could be a really nice additional boost for a pen that's been awesome. You have, can't have too many arms here, and you could tie this into Tommy Kaling's return here. Uh, who's been fantastic since he came back to the Yankees in his first 10 games here. So Hamilton and uh, and Kaling, give me your uh, initial reactions to Hamilton coming back and how him and Kaling are uh, a power one-two over on an already good bullpen. It just shows that Tommy Kaling was a fantastic move by Brian Cashman. We love to criticize Cashman for the, the moves he does not make or the failed ones that he has, but Tommy Kaling 
has been one of the best relievers on this Yankees team this season. And they got him for a two-year deal at $11.5 million, which for solid relief help in the year of our Lord, 2023, is extremely solid. Turned down more money from the Red Sox. I did not know it was the Red Sox. Oh, all. yeah. It was, it was the Red, he said it was the Red Sox that were calling him for like several million more on, on a contract. We'll take it. Uh, the Yankees, obviously very familiar with him. He has that demeanor on the mound. Tommy tight pants and the electric stuff. Fastball and off speed. His addition is big. And again, one of those guys that Aaron Boone is not afraid to use at all parts of the game. He went in in the ninth inning a couple days ago. He's, you know, a setup man. He's moving all around. And this is one of the better moves that Brian Cashman has made in recent years. And then you have Ian Hamilton coming back. Guy we've talked about a lot. A bit of a journeyman who landed with the Yankees on a minor league deal and had a string of 10 or so scoreless appearances before going on the injured list on uh, in the middle of May. Huge boost to the Yankees' bullpen. That'll be Nick Ramirez with some good innings the last couple days. He'll probably go down for, for, for Hamilton, but he did. He serviceable, did, did his job as a replacement there. But huge because look at a guy that's he, the everyday Wandy. We, we called him a lot last year. Wandy Rodriguez is kind of struggling. Um, so, like, and, and that's... The, the, the benefit of a pen like this is you can go into a game and not have to use Wandy or just use him for one batter to end an inning, one lefty batter to end an inning here. There was a lot of times Wandy was doing multiple innings to try and bridge that gap to, to King or, or Holmes or something. Now if you're able to have a starter, like even like I said, with, with Clark Schmidt only going five innings, not going too deep into games, you can cover six, seven, eight, nine between Marinaccio, King, Cordero's been 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 good. Kayleen and Hamilton now, like you got five, six guys to get you four innings uh, that I'm comfortable using at any time right now. And there's a lot of stress. You know, Kings already at 41 innings. Shockingly, Albert Abreu is second on the Yankees relievers relievers with 35 innings. So huge plus. We don't have to use him as as often, even though he has been been okay um, for some of the time here. But to, to get a guy in Hamilton that's like I said. 34% of strikeouts would, would lead the team right now. But these are just weapons that just mow people down. And we saw you don't win a one nothing game versus the Texas Rangers without an elite bullpen. And they, they showed that there, and now we're adding another key piece. Um, Cashman always likes to move guys for relievers at the deadline. Very intrigued to see what kind of what they do with this bullpen because it's really deep right now. Uh, and I'm not sure where you know the, the added guy would be. Would it be another lefty? But I mean, you got Holmes. You got you know, I think Peralta figures it out. He's been been great for the Yankees, and you know we might have Lewisaga come back in, in September. This might be the one year that the Yankees don't look at getting a reliever because that seems like they've always. I can't remember the last time they haven't kind of looked at a reliever at the deadline. So it'll be it'll be good to see uh, turn to the other thing, the other side of the of the ball here because the the lineup is the one that needs help. Um, and thankfully, Billy McKinney has proven everybody everybody wrong with that call up. Uh, I'll hand up. Was shocked that it wasn't Esteban Floreal that got the that got the call. I know he's not on the forty, but neither was Billy McKinney. And I, Billy McKinney's been fantastic. Billy the Kid, Sam, Sammy, Sammy, Sammy the Kid. Give me something on Billy the Kid. Uh, his swing is tailor made for Yankee Stadium. Yeah, a lefty bat, couple of home runs in the last week. I love watching him hit, and you remember him 
from way back in the day, sending him for Jay Happ in the package to get him in the Bronx. Yeah, I mean, we got him even back further. He was the number two piece in the Gla- in the Chapman Glaber deal. Correct. I was trying to think of that, and now that obviously you say it, it, it comes to light. Long time uh, ago. <laughs> geez, that seven years ago. My God. Um, a year before this podcast started. That was the 2016 season. Yep. But his swing is great for Yankee Stadium. Played some center field a little bit in the past couple of weeks. Obviously like him as a corner outfielder a little bit more, but he's going to be in the lineup every single day. The The swings that he's putting together, uh, he's 16 of 55, hitting over 300, slugging 623. He's been a big hitter for the Yankees. 28 years old, bounced around quite a bit in the major leagues, you know, since with the Mets. First round pick of the Athletics in 2013, so there was obviously some potential there. I really like what he's bringing, and he, he, he's been a vital piece of this Yankees offense. Really, when you're talking about positives on the Yankees offense, DJ's had a couple big hits after they gave him a mental break. Uh, when, you're, when you're talking about the Yankees offense right now, it's really Billy McKinney. And DJ LeMahieu and Jake Bowers has had some good games. I mean, he hasn't there. been yeah. excellent, but he's stood out more than the rest of these bums that are hitting 190 and 185. So that's just how it is. Rizzo was like one for the century, and hopefully he's starting <laughs> to come out of it right now. But, but Sam, he's been crazy. So he got called up when Judge gets put on the I.L., since then, he has the highest OPS on the team of, of 950, which is significantly higher than anybody else in that span. Willie Calhoun is second at 755, and he's on the IL now for a month. He leads the team in home runs, batting average hits, and RBIs. Did the Yankees find their version of, of, of Matt Carpenter? You know, the New York Post wrote about it here. Is he Matt Carper or is he Franchi Cordero? And and the, the swings have been good. The defense has been good. It. Every year, the Yankees find their their Matt Carpenter, and this 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 seems like this fits. This seems like someone that I can see on the team the rest of the year. When Judge comes back, he becomes a three or four times a week guy in left field. It's it's looked really good. Like he's twenty eight years old. Like he had he's been terrible in his in his major leagues you know, prior to this. But former first round pick, second time with the Yankees that you mentioned here, um, finding his place, and and thank God. Thank God. Like, are you kidding me? Like, the Yankees haven't been great. Their offense has been terrible since Judge. We're, we're hoping they're, you know, they're under 500. But, but Billy has, has really, really saved them for, from being a team right now that's fighting for that final wild card spot, even though it's it's June, to being like, oh, we're we're not making the playoffs here because we're we're 500. He he's been that important these last 16 games. He's been on base 15 of the last 16 games. That's pretty good. When the guy for Aaron Judge comes up and gets on base 15 of 16 games, what more could you ask for? You cannot ask for much more. And these swings are really good. He's got pop as a lefty hitter in Yankee Stadium, which is about all you can ask for. He's playing some good D out in the field. I'm loving it. He's in the lineup every day. And like you said, proving you wrong with how you really wanted Florial up in the majors. But 
with Harrison Bader coming back, who had the big hit Sunday, he's man in center field for now. Please knock on wood. Literally just knocked on wood on my wooden table that I'm sitting on. So I actually did. That he stays healthy because he is the best option in center field for the Yankees. The Yankees sweep the Rangers. We, we talked about it a little bit before we got on. The Yankees sweep the Rangers if, if Boone is, isn't scared to play Bader four days in a row. And he plays in center field. That ball drops in front of IKF. He he admitted that's a ball he needs to grab. But look, that's that's again that's a shortstop with, with zero experience besides this year in at being the center everyday center fielder for the Yankees. Shit like that happens, and it costs the Yankees the game um, uh, on uh, on Friday. But um, if Boone plays Bader, who is back and looks healthy every day in center field, like you said, the the defense is fantastic. Huge. It's not even fantastic. It's just because he's out there, it makes everything else better. The balls were dropping left and right. We had we had what? We had what? McKinney, IKF, and Bowers, and you know they 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 didn't have any big blunders, but you could just tell the range was just different. And now Bader being able to cover that range in center field is game changing. That it makes it so you know that if you go out there with a IKF Bader McKinney outfield. You're way, way happier, and you're, you're as a pitcher, you got to be ecstatic for that compared to you know IKF not being able to track down a ball. Um, so it, it's it's all around. But Bader with the big hit too. I said Bader should be the the cleanup hitter last week when he comes back, but I really like that lineup on on Sunday in the two spot. To me, that that's got to be in there. I, I I'm fine with that. Give me Bader in the two spot um, moving forward and, and drop down mm-hmm. DJ LeMayhu, even though he got a couple big hits. Those big hits came with people on base, which is nice, and that's that to me is important. That you know maybe maybe DJ just needs some runners on, and batting him fifth and sixth gives him better opportunity to to get those runners on and, and make an impact um, because he's been struggling at the plate. But but overall, that that Sunday lineup felt felt good. It felt comfortable. You know, that that you know, and then and then the Yankees produced Bader with the big double and Stanton even with the big hit. So that that Sunday lineup, I'm really hoping we see tonight. Um, and kind of that version of that moving forward with Bader in the two-hole. You wonder if there's going to be any help to come into this Yankees lineup. You, you mentioned that Brian Cashman's going to be on the phones, and, and a bat is likely going to be among the first of his orders. Um, there's some guys in the Yankees lineup right now that are close to automatic outs. Uh, I mean, it's really, really hard to watch. Who do Everyone's, you have in mind? Who Who is close to an automatic out? Who, who, are you, who are you hinting at here? Look, everyone is getting on Josh Donaldson, and I, I'm the first one. I mean, that guy sucks. He is washed. But Giancarlo Stanton's been uh, almost as close to as bad as Donaldson. He's hitting 191 on the year, 252 on base percentage. Donaldson is well. I mean... If Stan, if I see Stanton and Donaldson back to back, <laughs> or in anywhere between two and five, we've we've got an issue. I've got confidence that Stanton's going to figure it out, he- and I have been one of his biggest supporters since he's been traded to the Yankees. But he's been downright terrible, terrible. So I'm waiting for him to break out of it. I have confidence in him. What I don't have confidence in is is Josh Donaldson. Since he returned from the injured list. He hit two home runs in that game against the Dodgers. And I'm going to provide context here. It was that opening game where Severino let up six runs and the game was basically over from the first inning. Since then, he is 4 of 50 at the plate. 4 of 50. 
He's got eight total hits on the year. Eight total hits on the year. He's batting 098, 091, Uh, excuse me, in that stretch. Aaron Hicks has more hits playing for the Yankees this year than than Josh Donaldson does. You said all-star break. This is going to come to an end. This needs to come to an end right now. I think I gave him a little more leeway. I think I said, you know, middle or end of of July, but I agree. I mean, look, and look, the typical Yankees and their poor communications, we had Brian Cashman on the mic being like, we think he could turn it around. He just needs some leeway. He just needs um, a good stretch of starts. And then the Yankees benched him three games in a row versus the Rangers, and the Yankees should have won all three of those games. I don't think that's a coincidence that Josh Donaldson wasn't in the lineup for all three of those games. And the biggest out of that game was when they pinch hit Donaldson and he struck out. So, like, literally the guy had one at bat and made a huge impact negatively in that game. Um, so th- then Boone came out and said, hey, it was just a three-game stint uh, on the bench. We're going to start him. So I expect to see him in the lineup uh, on this road trip. But it, it, there's there's no – the Yankees analytics team and everyone has to understand, like, they – they have all these smart losers in there to be like, look, this team is better without him. And they eventually figured it out with Hicks and cut ties. Are they eventually going to finally sack up and be like, fuck it, he's got to go. There, there's no way that you could tell me that this team is better with him in the dugout or on the, in the lineup card. So, and then that does, like you mentioned, you know, the bats, do the Yankees look for a, a bat to, to add to that lineup, or whether it be maybe a third base bat, I don't I don't think so. I think the obvious answer is Peraza down in the minors. But, you know, you, you put DJ at the everyday third baseman, and then you have Peraza kind of become a little bit of a floater, or you let DJ be the, the floater again and get some rest. But, like you said, I'm not too worried about, about Stanton. When Stanton gets in slumps, even when he was hitting 56 home runs, when Stanton gets in slumps, he's an automatic out. But he does eventually get out of those slumps. Donaldson, it looks like it's just the talent is gone, and, and you know there, there's there's no there's no hope for it here. So I think we're going to be mad for another two weeks here. But but maybe this uh, look if you want to start him every game until the All Star break. But then is that meeting with Boone like, hey, we'll start you every game until the All Star break. But if you have one hit in those nine games, you're not coming back after the All Star break. I'm willing to accept that, even if it costs the Yankees a few games. Start him. Start him for every day. And if he's batting 050, then you say don't come back after after the All-Star break. I'm all for it. Don't think it's going to happen, but that, that's – that's what else could that half-hour conversation about life be with Josh Donaldson? Like what, what the hell is that guy going to talk to talk about me to, you know, with, with Boone? I think they are eventually going to cut ties with him if this continues. They did it with Hicks. They owed him a lot more money. Aaron Hicks had a lot more history. Any Yankees uniform than Josh. Aaron Hicks had some really good seasons and really big playoff moments. Like, it's 100% harder to cut Aaron Hicks as a fan than it is to cut Josh Donaldson. Most people didn't want him. I I thought, hey, this trade could work out. This could be a good deal. He's had put together some good seasons. I have, I will never think, I will forget Josh Donaldson was a Yankee tomorrow if he's not on this roster. I'll never think about that again. It's so hard, too, because think of how many years he killed the Yankees when he was with the Blue Jays. What an American League MVP award. Think about how much this guy was a thorn in their side. And then he comes to play for him at the end of his career, and he sucks. I've said it multiple times. He had a decent last season in Minnesota. 26 homers, OPS over 800 points, great defense. And if he gave in that range, everybody would be happy. Even a little under that. Like, I don't... Under that is fine, but just not not this. It's it's so hard to watch. The, the, this this can't end soon enough. 
I mean, look, to be honest, if he batted like he did last year, like, I'll, I'll take that. Like, he's been, he was bad last year. That's how bad he's been this year is, you know, it's crazy. His OPS plus last year, his first season with the Yankees was 95. But you mentioned the defense. Like, I, I think he got snubbed out of a gold glove nomination, at least, on defense. He was fantastic on defense. If you, I'm fine. You, you hit OPS of a 95 and give me 15 home runs, but you're you're a gold glover, I can live with that. I can I can honestly live with that. I, I can't live with this eight hits, six of them being home runs, but literally eight hits in in twenty games and and with injury, and you know just the overall whatever Josh attitude is. But we'll see. Let's see. Start them every game. Give them give them the ten game stretch before the All Star break and tell them not to come home if if he's terrible again. It's it's a put up or shut up moment for the Yankees here. You've got Peraza destroying it in AAA. But let's, let's get him up here, and you know, it's especially when you got you know like guys like DJ, like you mentioned, it seems like he might be coming out of the slump. Like that bat slowed down significantly, so I'm a little worried about DJ long term here. But but for now, give me some young blood, and then maybe look for a left fielder at the deadline. Even though there's not too many names out there that are that are exciting to me, I'm right there with you, and we've already seen a little bit of movement on the trade front. In the last week, the Mets sent Eduardo Escobar to to the Angels. So I mean, the phones the phones are active. I wonder if Brian Cashman is already looking to make a move. We talked about Tommy Canley six years ago. He came to the Yankees, and that that was a late June trade. That was almost a month before the trade deadline, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was early. Um, it, it was very early. So. Don't be surprised if Cashman's already working the phones, looking for looking for something. Uh, he may, saw, did make it clear. I don't know if in this comment said that he's not looking for a judge replacement, which is like fine, whatever you want to call it. But like, tell me you're still looking for an outfielder. I'm not. Obviously, we're not going to replace Judge here, but you got to still like be looking for an outfielder. I like we, we just spent ten minutes talking about how much we like Billy McKinney, but there's definitely upgrades out there. And if Judge is going to be out another you know month and a half, two months, that's not going to affect Billy McKinney. Like so, we'll you know they're I. I I understood the comment of, like, we're not trying to replace Aaron Judge in the trade market. That's not happening. Fine. You never could replace him if you even wanted to. But be on the phones, like you said. You assume he's on the phones, but be on the phones um, and get it done sooner than later. You're going to have every, – every GM is going to be off for the All-Star break. Make some calls and get something to happen. Um, so we'll, we'll be interested to see what goes on there with the Yankees roster construction. Um, hopefully they make a move before the, the July 31st deadline. I think it could be likely. One name I saw thrown out today was old friend Andrew McCutcheon, who it seemed like he signed a one-year deal to kind of just retire off into the sunset in Pittsburgh. But they mentioned uh, the Pirates trading him and then him signing a one-year deal with them again this offseason. Imagine they just do that for like five years straight. Just give him one-year deal then just keep trading him and then bring him back. And then give him him the no-trade clause and – when he announces his final year, but he's having a good season uh, drinking the fountain of youth. Uh, that's a that's a possibility. It might not cost a lot. So there's going to be a lot of names linked to the Yankees, and well, we love trade season over here, Steve. We, and it's coming up quick. It's coming up quick. I think it's just going to and then to, to kind of full circle on here. The schedule is ripe for the Yankees to get us excited as fans, to get us pumped going into the All Star break. And leading into the trade deadline of saying we are going to be major buyers, whether it be anything. Look, I don't know what the status of Nestor Cortez is. You know, we say, you know, Rendon's coming back, but Herman hasn't looked good. You know, be on the market for a starting pitcher. Be on the market for a left fielder. 
be on the market for a third baseman. Maybe you need to, you know, that's fine. I don't know if there's anyone out there, but like be on the market for these guys because the, the schedule here is prime. They, they've held their own versus the West Coast teams coming east of Seattle and Texas. Now they go out west. Weird scheduling by whatever to have to play Texas, Seattle, then go to Oakland, but whatever. And then you go to St. Louis. So to end the year, to end the first half, you got three in Oakland, three in St. Louis, four in Baltimore, and then three with the Cubs. Three of those four teams are bad. And one team, we're fighting for the wild card. Huge, huge stretch of 11 games for the Yankees coming up. Massive. We're This will be the probably the last episode of the first half. We'll, we'll, we'll return yeah. after the after the first half. Got 4th of July next week. Um, but out to Oakland, uh, the A's had some good moments. They won seven in a row. Did the old reverse boycott out there and had Rob Manfred give one of the most tone-deaf answers I've ever seen anybody ever give i feel so bad for those fans i know this is a yankees podcast i feel awful for those fans it was that cool is a franchise with a lot of history a lot of great history uh, but that owner can go to hell oh yeah John yeah he i can go to hell and ironically josh donaldson has some pretty hilarious tweets about him <laughs> when he was when he when after his time there um for it but yeah the, the, the cool that the, the reverse sellout was, was, was fun the first boycott, I mean, was, was cool. Like you said, it led to a streak of seven in a row. <laughs> and then they then they did the Oakland thing and fouled it up and losing 10 of 11. Like, this is a team that's won one game the past two weeks. So the Yankees have to go out there and they have to dominate this team. Like, not even close. They have to hit. They're, you know, they, the, 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 I mean, the pitchers lining up, you know, Blackburn, Sears, Caprillion, two former Yankees who we smoked in previous starts versus them, like, they have to go and just crush these teams. And it starts there. You know, they have to. Brito, Herman, Schmidt, not our A squad of three pitches here, but doesn't matter. Herman's got to bounce back from his past few starts. Schmidt's got to continue what he's got going on there. And Brito looked really good. You know, saw him in person uh, at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx versus the Mariners. He looked good. This is this is a must sweep. You know, two of three is, is lovely, but this is a must sweep for the Yankees. And then you go to... Then you go to baseball town of St. Louis, and and we'll see old friend Jordan Montgomery, who sucked this year too. So leading into this Baltimore series here, I I need five of six, and that seems crazy given how this lineup hits. But what what a what an opportunity for the Yankees. I agree, five of six would be really good. Uh, the Cardinals, arguably the most disappointing team in baseball this season, thirty two and forty five. The Yankees went out there last summer in the beginning of August, and I believe that was a sweep uh, for the Cardinals. So we'll see what happens. It's kind of cool getting to play every team this year. Uh, again, I'm going to mention that a lot. Uh, yeah. Back-to-back trips to Bush Stadium. You know, I'm, I'm down in Florida right now by, by the Marlins. Uh, the Yankees will be here every other year. Um, they'll be in Philly every other year. I know how much of a pain in the ass it is to commute to the Bronx. Um, but but really, worth it, Sam. To, to mention the Bronx, going back there, boy, that felt good. And I I, I, I was spoiled. I was in Legends, just mauling freaking lobster tails every inning. It was fantastic, and they got the win. Got got to get back there again soon. It, it was it was too long. It was too long. It was a good atmosphere. Hitting up Billy's after the game was just uh, it brought back the old the old memories. Uh, of the stadium. September 8th is when I am aiming to get there against the Milwaukee Brewers. I will be home um, for Labor Day, then have a wedding the following weekend. But uh going to spend some time in the north, I believe. Um, yeah, big opportunity going forward. And then 
forward the Baltimore Orioles, who have been ahead of schedule on the rebuild, in my view. They, they took a step last year. I thought it may be stay around that or take another step maybe, but I mean, this is a couple steps more now. Nah, they're 47 and 29 winning over 60% of the games. And then the Yankees closed with the Chicago Cubs who are 37 and 39. They've gotten cold. Um, I mean, they got, they're hot now, but they, they, they're, they're hit or miss. So hopefully they get there. They are, they're back on their cold streak by the time we get to them. I mean, look, that, that Orioles series massive. I've never would have guessed it. You know, one series before the all-star break here. And we're like that, that series is Huge versus Baltimore. Four games. Honestly, that we said this is a nice stretch for the Yankees here, but that series is going to make or break what we think of this first half looking back on the rest of the year. Because if we do damage kind of versus, versus those other teams here, that's the difference of does this team have 50 wins going into the All-Star break or, or are we disappointed? I think we'll be disappointed either way. But at the same time, 50 wins going to the All-Star break without uh, – Carlos Rendon without Aaron Judge, you know, some other injuries here with Do- Josh Donaldson being terrible. You you could look back and be like, wow, how the Yankees had 50 wins at the All-Star break. And, and this Orioles series is going to be the deciding factor for that. The biggest series of the first half. Um, the, the next series is the biggest series, but uh, you don't want to look ahead of the A's in... Um, yeah, true, true. And, and A's and Cardinals, but, uh, I mean, this is one um, that's obviously circled, so... Hoping for a strong end of the first half. And like you said, Steve, got to tread water. It's time to kick it into gear, get that extra treading going on here. You you can't limp into this into this here, into this half. Yeah, like you said, we'll be back for the second half here. Maybe we'll do, you know, a second half preview right before we, we get back for from the all-star break here. But it's 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 exciting. It's it's not exciting. The Yankees offense is is not exciting, but the the, the pitching staff has been exciting. And cautiously optimistic. Like, everything happens. Like, the last game, like we always talk about, the last game always changes our mood. How could you not be cautiously optimistic when you have you have a comeback win versus the Rangers? You have a one nothing win versus the hottest-hitting team in baseball. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic. 43 and 37 is – sorry, 43 and 35, not exactly where I want it to be. But I'll take over 10 games, over 500 – at the all-star break and um then we then you you get the deadline you get the pieces and then you prepare for the playoffs that's our goal right that's our goal you gotta I'm get right to the there playoffs. with you steve i'm right there with you that's step one of the goal step the goal is the world series don't want don't want that to be a, a clip of saying the goal is just make the playoffs here we're we're not that franchise goal is to win the world series you can't win the world series if you don't make the playoffs so We'll, we'll we'll kind of end it end it there for it. Give give me a final final words of before the uh, before the we wrap up the first half of podcasting. No, let's go. Let's get Judge back or get good news on Judge. Rephrase that. Good news on Judge. Let's see Radone back and let's win every series the rest of the way. Damn, that's, that's how we that's started a, the podcast this year. Win series. That's it. Win series. That's very doable with this slate of games. The Yankees just beat the best team in the American League. Uh, Outside the se- second best team in the American <laughs> League. So, two out of three. So, uh, I'm confident in this team's ability with good pitching and a good bullpen to win series. And I think they can win the final four series. That's what I'm most looking forward to. Um, especially the Baltimore series. Going to be up on Cape Cod. 
Uh, but I'll be keeping up is, you know, I take a couple days off and have a couple Gorge Lights, which uh, we always look forward to. <laughs> yeah, that we do. So everybody have a good 4th of July, little little preemptive early pap of 4th of July. Get those extra days off and watch some Yankees baseball. Thanks for listening to an episode of Podcast and in Pinstripes. You can follow me at AngelSteve89 on TikTok and Instagram, and you can find Sam at the Real Sam Mars. And we'll see you guys uh, in a few weeks. See you later, Sam. Take care, Steve. Go Yanks.